Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. friends on podcast land and welcome to episode 164 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall and once again I'm flying solo, not because we don't want to have Steve or any of the other guests on the podcast, but we're enjoying a well-deserved week's break down the Oregon coast where we're going to bring you two conference calls from two very important men in Canadian soccer, Whitecaps head coach Carl Robinson and CSA president, not to mention CONCACAF president, Victor Montagliani. So Robo and Victor will be covering a lot of the main talking points around the White Caps and the Canadian national team just now. And we're going to kick things off with the Caps. It's been a, a very, very successful week for the, for the White Caps. They're in the middle of a three-game road trip, headed off to Columbus where they got three points on Saturday. Not a fantastic performance, not a fantastic game. Two bad sides, but three points is three points. Three goals as well. And Eric Hurtado actually found the back of the net. Stunning stuff. And it was a, a win that moved the Whitecaps up to seventh place in the West with San Jose and Seattle tying. Both those teams, though, still do have two games in hand on the Whitecaps, making this Saturday's game against Seattle not just a must-win, but possibly it could go a long way to deciding the season. If the Whitecaps lose against Seattle at the clink, even a draw, you kind of have to feel that their their season, MLS-wise, it is basically over. But they've got other things to look forward to. Three days after that win in Columbus, they headed south to Kansas City. Second rain delay in two games. Maybe they should kind of just only play when it rains. And another victory, this time in Champions League action. And a very historic night on a number of factors. One, it was the Whitecaps winning their Champions League group for the first time qualifying for the knockout stages for the first time, and also Alfonso Davies' first first-team goal. So a lot of pluses in the last couple of days. Is it enough to kind of turn the Whitecaps season around? If the Whitecaps finish the season not in the MLS playoffs, but having won the, the Champions League group, would, would that be deemed as a successful season? That was one of the things I asked Robo on the conference call, as you'll hear. We also talked a little bit about what the Whitecaps' pre-season plans might be. Some exciting news coming out of that. And a lot of talk about the Seattle game this coming weekend and just what it means to the Whitecaps' season and just a few things around that. So it's myself, Mark Weber, Ed Willis from the province, Peter Shad as well, Josh Clipperton from Canadian Press. 
So without any further ado, let's just bring you Rose press conference now, from Thursday the 15th of September, looking at everything Whitecaps. Things are right now. 
go back to Tuesday night, what does qualifying for the knockout stage of the Champions League mean to the club? And if the, the club ended up not being in the playoffs, but you did have you have reached the knockout stage, would you deem that as a successful season? Well, I think that's open, it's open to interpretation, to be honest, Michael. It's the start of the season, we always set out our goals. I set out my goals personally, and you know we want to qualify for the playoffs, and uh, we want to try and win the Canadian Championship, and we want to qualify for the Champions League. And you know, last year we managed to do two out of the three. You know, by quali- uh, winning the Canadian Championship and qualifying for the playoffs and securing a home playoff tie. And obviously, uh, I got criticised maybe in certain quarters for not having to go at the Champions League. And you know, you review the season and you look at what you could do better. But this year, you know, I tried to strengthen the squad in certain areas, and I believe I did. Um, you know, and as the season's gone along, we haven't performed to the levels that I, I would have liked or we would require to be at this club, um, you know, for a number of reasons. So, you know, we've reassessed it as the season's gone along. We've still got a lot of work to do to get in the playoffs. We've still got a great chance. You know, if, if we can get a result on Saturday, we know it's a massive game. We were heartbroken with the loss of against Toronto in the Canadian Championship, but... You know, I don't think you can do anything. You can do all the planning in the world, but you can't legislate for a mistake in the 94th minute. Um, so we had to, you know, take that on the chin and take a little bit of criticism from that. And uh, rightly so, because we weren't able to, even though we won the game, to win the win, lift the trophy and win the cup. Um, so we knew we weren't going to be in the Champions League next year. Uh, so then my focus did switch a little bit, and I said, you know, we want to achieve a first for the club in the Champions League because. You know, Champions League football is different. You know, if you manage to get a, a Mexican team or someone like that, and you know, we need to make sure that we, we we did come out of this season as you know partly successful, and that's why it did shift a little bit. Make no doubt about it. Our main focus is playoffs, without a doubt, and we're going to have a right go at those in the next five games. But you know, it was a it's a clear direction that we wanted to qualify for the Champions League as well, which is why obviously we 
we put strong teams out in these games to, to try and win these games. And I, I know it's quite a, a way away, but I know you also like to plan ahead. Qualifying for the, the knockout stage now, how much does that affect or make you have to adjust your pre-season plans? Do you know what, Michael? It, it, we've been speaking you know, the last maybe two months about pre-season for next year because I want to shake it up. I want to, you know, I want to freshen things up in certain quarters. And you know, we, we're going to do something a little bit different in pre-season, go to Europe. Um, you know, nice. Part of me reviewing the season was you know, analysing what, what was good at the start of the year and what wasn't. And there's a few areas that I've identified that need to be a lot better. Um, we got off to a slow start. You know, players weren't up to speed. And, you know, I'll take responsibility for that, even though they, they will have to as well. But next year, that will not happen. You know, we've got a... Obviously, we'll play in the Champions League quarterfinals um, earlier. So we'll have to be right on on top form earlier, up to speed earlier. So that means there's fitness levels earlier. That means we, as a staff, have got to be more organised um, a little bit earlier, and we will be. Um, so pre-season will change a little bit, but it was going to change anyway, based upon the, the start we got off to uh, this season. So, um, you know, as soon as I know a little bit more, I will fill you in where we're going and when. That's great. Thanks so much, Carol. Carol, it's Ed again. It's Ed again. You talked about the character you guys are showing here in the last five games. Uh, do you have enough quality in, in your lineup to play against the, uh, the, the playoff team in the West? Well, we'll see. We certainly will see. Uh, and what we've done over the last five games is give ourselves a chance due to uh, the players' commitment and their fighting spirit. And You know, uh, there's been times this year where we probably relied a little bit just on our quality and we haven't actually gone to war with teams and, you know, made them earn their, earn their victory. You know, we've been very, we've been good away from home, decent away from home and we haven't been good enough at home. It's fair to say, you know, our last two games at home against San Jose and, uh, and New York, we've, we did okay against San Jose and I thought we were very, very good against New York but we didn't get the, the luck that we, we probably felt we'd, we deserved. You know, we had a number of chances, we didn't take it and, but what you do, you, you get back to work. And whether we've got the quality, only time will tell. You know, that's something that we'll have to look at next year. We know, I know, we need, we know we need to bring in more quality uh, because games are won and lost in both boxes. And we haven't been as clinical enough as I'd like in, in the opposition boxes. We've had a number of chances, as has been highlighted in the majority of our home games this year. And we haven't been able to take them. So, you know, part of my job is to make sure that doesn't happen next year. Uh, but we do need a little bit more quality. We know that to help the guys that we've already got here. Um, but we'll see. Next five games will, will tell us a lot. Carl, it's, it's Mark. Any update on Kakuda? Is there any hope that he might be back at any point in the season? And will that maybe depend on whether you're in the race or not still? Yeah, he's still a few weeks away, uh, to be honest. And, you know, if you, if you look at this Saturday's game and uh, next Saturday's game, if, if we don't, pick up maximum points or whatever and that's what we're going to try and go for then you know it could be taken out of our hands because it's not in our hands at the moment unfortunately we, you know we're, we're four points behind uh, teams have got games in hand so they are facing a little uphill battle we have to be honest and admit that um, but we've still got a chance so in the next two weeks we'll, we'll see uh, hopefully he will be back he has been missed for us we know that let's give other players an opportunity um, but it is what it is everyone deals with injuries and you know, you can either sulk about it and, and use it as an excuse, or you can get on with it and, and deal with it. And we've dealt with it. We have missed him. Um, but he's a good player, so that's the reason we've missed him. Yeah, just a quick one for me again. You came in 
yeah. this season wanting to, you know, you'd had two years of being defensively solid and you wanted to be able to change yeah. the way you guys played a little bit, keep the ball a bit more, break teams down in possession a bit more. Yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting you've abandoned that, but you've had success lately, you know, with, with 35% possession games and back on the counter. Yeah. When, when did you sort of make that conscious decision to, uh, I guess, return to that sort of formula and that was the best the best route forward for now? Is, is that is that fair to say that that's been a, quite a conscious shift? Yeah, I think, turn this around. I, think you're spot, I think you're spot on in relation to the last four or five games. You know, at home it's different. Obviously, teams like to sit in against us and... Uh, but away from home, you know, our success last year was based upon being hard to break down uh, and counter-attacking very quickly. You know, the, the team that won them last, last year is a, is a very good counter-attacking team, you know that. And we got our results last year because we counter-attacked teams very quickly. And, you know, we all want to play possession-based football, we know that. We all want to uh, dominate games, we know that. But it doesn't happen. And we weren't getting results. You know, and in the games that we've analysed this year, we had... 50-odd, 5% possession. We were having more of the ball. We were having more of the shots, but we were losing games. And, you know, there, there had to be a slight adjustment, and there was a slight adjustment. But we said, listen, guys, let's just, you know, we, we've got to give ourselves a fighting chance by getting back to basics and doing what the personnel allow us to. Losing Kakuta, obviously, and losing Octavio Rivera halfway through the year. Um, had to, we had to change the style a little bit based upon personnel. Um, but what we've done is we've, we've gone back to basics, and we've put in... Personnel, we've got players up to speed and players are back in form now um, who, who are able to counter-attack very quickly because the league, away from home especially, is a counter-attacking league. So that's something we'll need to look at next year as well because losing players, um, key players at key times uh, with the characteristics they had, we hadn't probably got the, the personnel right uh, to replace them. Um, so that'll be a big recruitment thing for us next year. So that's, that's a fair, fair assessment to say. It doesn't matter about possession. I'm not. We, want, we all want the ball, but... Carl, did you see? Uh, did you see from David Edgar, uh, especially on the Hurtado three-one goal in Columbus, that that leadership that you've been craving, and 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 you, are you starting to really feel his influence now in the dressing room? I am. That, that yeah, I thought he was outstanding. Uh, I really did. Him and Kendall in Columbus, and then Kendall and Timmy in in KC. I thought they, they were very very strong performances, uh, and that's something that. We were doing week in, week out last year, and you know you can you can look into all the reasons why we we are where we are. You know whether it's we've missed a number of chances we haven't taken, and whether we you know made individual errors at wrong times. You know we're we're four points out of a playoff spot, and we know we've messed up um, a number of times this year. And it's not one individual; it's a number of individuals. Uh, when you fix one hole, another one seems to appear, and. Sometimes that happens, uh, but we'll be better for it next year, without a doubt. You know, I'll learn a lot. I'll learn a lot from myself. Um, me and my coaches will learn a lot. Uh, and we'll learn a lot about our character of our team. And David coming in, Giles coming in, Marcel coming in. You know, it's not just based upon a quick fix. It was based upon, I, I felt we needed something a little bit different in the locker room because uh, you do need leaders to step up, not when times are good, when times are tough. And we've certainly been going through a tough time. Uh, but the players will learn from it, make no doubt about it, and we'll be better for it. So David deserves a lot of credit for that, yes. It's Mark again, Carl. Just because you brought up the preseason, I think it's quite interesting. What is it that you, you felt was lacking? Is it the quality of competition that you did you want to be higher in those games? Well, I can't say that because we're playing against MLS teams. I think what bugged me was we played two Canadian teams in the last two years and we've lost both times. Uh, and that really bugs me. 
because you know against Toronto two years ago we we played exceptionally well and we were out we were done by their their designated players. I think that's fair to say we got caught on that and. You know, against Montreal last this pre this first game of this season, we got done on individual mistakes between my goalkeeper and my centre back twice. I said so. I, I just feel that you know everyone's trying to get up to speed, and when you play in pre-season and when you play games, especially the early games, that you're playing against players that are also not fit, and you're able to maybe coast games based upon you being 60, 70 percent fit, and then being 60 percent, 70 percent fit. What I need, well, especially now we're in the Champions League, is I need my players, if they're 60%, 70% fit, to be playing against players that are 100% fit because it's harder for them and we need to get up to speed a lot quicker. And I don't think we have this year, so it's, that's, what, that's what it's based upon. It's not based on other, you know, other MLS teams. It's just trying to gain a, a small advantage where we can. And if we go to Europe, we know that those players are, are going to be 100% fit when we play them in, in January, So, which we'll need because our games come in February, start of February, or end of February, and start of March. Just on Ladero, Carl, yeah, yeah. how has Seattle changed uh, with him, and how, how much of a challenge, obviously with Clint, I guess he becomes the focus, but what's, what struck you about him, and what kind of job do you have to do on him on Saturday? We have to do a very good job on him. We know he's a top player. He's you not know, one of the best players in, in, the, in the Copa Sudamerica for nothing. You know, they've, obviously they've invested heavily in him. We know that. And um, he, he's a key player. He makes some tip. They've been better since he's been in. And, you know, we're, we're going to have to be right on our game to make sure that he doesn't have a major influence in the game. You know, what I would say as well is, with regards to Clint, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see him back on the train of field. I think it's important that, you know, sometimes, it, you know, it football's, it's all about football. But in this case, it's not all about football. It's important that he's healthy and, you know, he's, it's good to see him back. Whether he plays or not, you know, in this game or the rest of the season, his health is the most important for him. And as, a, as the manager and the club and the organisation, we, we send our well wishes to him and hope he's back soon. So Rob are there looking at the games that's just passed, the wins in Columbus and Kansas City, and looking ahead to Saturday's game against Seattle. Big, big game on Saturday. Whitecaps' first game of the afternoon, kicking off at 1pm. A win will give them a four-point cushion over Seattle, who will still have two games in hand. Also brings them within one point of Portland Timbers, and puts extra pressure there on Portland to try and get the job done. It does still look a tough ask for the Whitecaps to, to get into the playoff places and, and do something in the postseason. But as we, we keep saying, four of these last five games are against teams that are either above them or just below them in this playoff chase. Two against Seattle, one against Portland, one against San Jose. Saturday's definitely a must-win game. We'll see if the players are up for it. If they're not, no excuse for that at all. And the other interesting snippet to come out of there was me asking Carol about how qualifying for the knockout stage of the Champions League is going to affect the Whitecaps' pre-season plans because we knew that they weren't going to be able to go down to Portland again for the tournament because the, the first leg of the quarterfinals is going to clash with that week. But as Robo revealed there, his plan was always to move away from that and they're going to be heading to Europe. Will that just be the UK? Will it be some warmer climbs as well? 
you kind of have to feel that they might want to go somewhere like Spain, Cyprus. I'd love to go back to Cyprus. Had a, a week's holiday there. Wonderful country. Would really recommend that to everyone. Malta is another possibility as well. But going somewhere like that, getting the heat, getting a little bit acclimatised to what the, the weather's going to be like for their away game in the in the CCL quarterfinals, whether it's Mexico or somewhere else in, in the CONCACAF region. You've also got a guarantee that the games are going to be on because so many games are called off in the UK in January. Like going over there, unless you're playing on a turf pitch somewhere, you're not going to have a guarantee that the games are going to be on. I'd like to maybe see a bit of a split. Some games in the UK, some games somewhere in mainland Europe. Be a fantastic pre-season trip. Something I've been looking forward to and hoping for ever since I moved over here that I was always kind of talking to Carol and joking with him before that he needs to go back to the UK and play some games there. And the Whitecaps do have history of that. They went over for three trips during their NASL days. 1980, they went over in March, played three games there, lost 2-1 to Leeds United, drew 0-0 with Bristol City, and lost 3-1 to Southampton. The following year, they obviously had a lot of attention that year coming over as NASL champions as well, so that that got a lot of interest from, from the crowd over there. They returned in 1981 as well, they, they had a couple of games in Ireland against the University of Dublin, which they, they drew 1-1, and Athlone Town, which they lost 1-0, before heading back into the London area and playing Wickham Wanderers, which they won 4-0 in that game, and then they, they lost 1-0 to Watford. Then they wrapped up their, their tour with a 2-1 defeat up at Sheffield Wednesday. That was another March trip as well, but they, they returned for a weird one-off game in October that year where they drew two all with Nottingham Forest. So, a lot of history there. It's a, We're actually going to do a feature on that, coincidentally, because we, we didn't know this was going to be coming, but we've been working on a feature around those games and just the, the NESL clubs that, that did go over to the UK. I've got a number of programmes from that, so we'll, we'll bring you some fun stuff from that over the next few weeks. But enough Whitecaps talk. Let's turn our attention now to Canada. Big news this week being Canadian national team coach Benito Flora was sacked on Wednesday. CSA and CONCACAF president Victor Montagliani gave a conference call to, to break that news and just talk about the search for the new coach and kind of look over some of the things that maybe went wrong with the, the World Cup qualifying campaign. Canada bowed out yet again before reaching the heck. Haven't reached the heck since the qualification cycle for the 1998 World Cup. Whole generation doesn't know what it's like to, to be at a World Cup final or even be in the hex to, to kind of almost get there. So Victor talked about a number of things, so we're going to bring you the full conference call now. Unlike the Whitecaps one, we kind of cut out a lot of the pleasantries of people just thanking Victor and seeing who they were, just to kind of get it moving a little bit smoother. But let's bring you the conference call now with Victor Montagliani. In a time when hats were hats, I had no Canadian flag. Just wanted to um, confirm uh, that uh, Canadian soccer, uh, first of all, I would like to thank uh, Benito Floro for his professionalism and integrity during his tenure as a coach, but the uh, Federation has uh, opted not to uh, renew his contract and therefore um, uh, he will no longer be our men's national team coach. Uh, we will continue, obviously, to uh, 
uh, invest in the program uh, uh, as we have in the past uh, with respect to um, all the things that we've done and built up, and we will continue to do that. But uh, as it relates to our uh, head coach, we have uh, elected not to uh, renew the option on the contract, and um, we are moving on. When you hired Benito, you said um, you have to walk before you can run. Many of his players spoke highly of his methods and what they had learned under him. Can you explain why he is um, not being kept then? Is it simply because the results weren't good enough? Yeah, no, I know. I agree with you. I think, you know, I think our commitment to this program, I think, is um, from a simply from a holistic standpoint uh, in terms of how we now invest in the program and, and the players will speak to it is significantly different than what it's been in the past um, you know we've taken a long-term approach to this program knowing that we need to build um, this was the first block uh, I think Benito has brought a lot uh, to the program from a technical tactical perspective at the end of the day it is a results business but I think uh, in terms of um, you know, the direction that we're pointing, uh, the amount of players we brought through, the young players that we brought through, um, how we approach qualification in terms of preparation uh, on and off the field. Uh, those are all things that uh, have been brought to an international level the last four years. And I think it bodes as well as we move forward. And, and I think, um, you know, I think the, as we move forward, I think we're, the program needs now Another elevation, um, you know, I guess from a, uh, you know, we, I think in a lot of ways, we need to double down on this um, program in terms of an investment standpoint, and not just monetarily necessarily, but also uh, how we do it. So, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be going fallow. We'll be playing in October, we'll be playing in November, and we'll continue preparation to the Gold Cup. Uh, but as it relates to head coaches, it's, um, it's football, and um, I think uh, uh, we now need to move on. Maybe, maybe kind of a two-part question. Uh, did, did Benito express an interest to stay on? And, and the second one would be um, who's going to lead kind of in the interim, or will there be an interim, and, and how how long before you'd like to make a, a, a decision on who the coach is going to be for the next cycle? Yeah, no, um, it w there was no interest per se. Um, I think Benito, you know, being a professional, knows um, – knows what this business is all about and this is a business after all so there was no discussions on that point uh, but the discussion in, in, in terms of you know um, parting ways was very cordial very professional and, and uh, you know and Benito is a gentleman as we all know so no issues there in terms of how we move forward uh, I think um, you know Peter and I and, and others within the Federation will now sit down and look internally how we're going to deal with the rest of the year because we've got two FIFA dates that we want to uh, that we want to finalize matches for, and then we'll deal with that internally uh, on an interim basis. We'll make that announcement somewhere down the road here before the next fixtures, uh, and then from a long-term perspective, uh, there's no timetable, there's no rush, obviously, but uh, we also want to be exhaustive and and, and uh, you know cast a net as they say rather than a fishing rod and uh, and then see how we want to move forward after that I'm, I'm not sure how much your social media you pay attention to but uh, you had a quite a, a number of ex-canadian internationals including craig forrest sort of voice there 
concerns during the campaign, during the tail end of it, and, and, and the mood among, around the program seems to be for a Canadian um, to be the coach. Do you have any, any thoughts on what you're going to be looking for in a new coach, and will it be important to have a Canadian or not? Well, listen, I mean, uh, first and foremost, you know, uh, other than the head coach, the majority of our staff was Canadian, so, and it always, and it has been, so, but even as we did before, we, we didn't exclude any um, nationality in our last search, and we're not going to exclude any nationality, especially our own, um, with respect to the next search, so, uh, I think I think uh, you have to keep open-minded. Um, you know, we're not uh, like some countries where, you know, uh, uh, Italy or Spain, where I don't ever see those countries ever hiring anything other than a trainer because they got a probably a, a stack of coaches that they can choose from. Uh, the reality of our situation is we do have domestic candidates, and but we also have we also have to look elsewhere as well uh, as we have in the past as we have in the present, and as we will in the future, I don't think we're excluding anybody, and specifically our own. Victor, uh, obviously it's result-oriented business, but there seem to be a, a fair number of stories, substantiated or not, where some of the decisions were at question, and, and some thought maybe there were personality conflicts. Can you speak to that at all? You know, I, I can't speak to anything specific there. Uh, I think uh, any time a, a coach is not successful, um, um, you're going to uh, question decisions. No different than uh, any team, whether it's national team or club team. Um, you know, I, I, there's times when, uh, whether it's my own club that I uh, hold dear, which I won't mention which club it is, because uh, uh, I'll keep that private, when I sit there and go, what the hell is he doing? Um, so I, I think that's part of the game. It's, it's the nature of the business where, you know, ultimately close coaches will always be questioned and specifically when there's no success the questions are maybe not different but maybe a little louder so um, that there was questions with respect to whatever they may be hey fair enough uh, I think that's par for the course of football in Benito what turned out to be Benito Floro's last press conference in the aftermath of last Tuesday's game he spoke about some of the impediments that he faced uh, as the Canadian national team manager, the one that he mentioned first and foremost was the lack of a national domestic professional league uh, for Canadian players to take part in. Uh, we did see some reporting coming out last week uh, about the prospect of the new Canadian Pro League launching in 2018. Can either of you say anything official at this point about where things are in terms of the progress at league coming to fruition? I think the... Um you know, I think we've been very clear, whether it's Peter or I, on, on um, any time we've been asked this question, that we're committed to the project that we started uh, probably a year ago on this. Uh, our board is committed to it. We're very pleased with the progress and the process as well. Uh, I think when there is details that need to be announced, I think we can share with yourselves or with the general public. Uh, we will share that. Um, but I think as of now, we're we're committed to the project, and we're actually quite pleased with the progress and the process, and and um, you know we'll we'll continue on that vein. A little uh, shifting topic slightly um, about Canadians as internationals for American MLS teams. Tony Fonseca was talking in August. Maybe a, a big movement is about to happen, uh, but then you probably saw the Guardian. Uh, I think it's yesterday. Uh, where Victor is talking about the glass ceiling and the issue is frustratingly so 
And then there's also, it's not quoted, but about uh, blocking the Canadian MLS teams from playing in the league. Uh, what's the situation in general right now? Um, so just to um, clarify, yeah, that's an issue that obviously, um, you know, we picked up probably four years ago. We've been dealing with the league. Um, um, we're expecting a, a decision announcement by the end of the season. I think we've been consistent in that by the end of the MLS season in terms of a solution uh, to that issue. Uh, we're still on target. I think the Guardian issue uh, relates to a frustration that, you know, um, that uh, I think we have that we want to get this done obviously sooner than later. And I think that was reflective of that. And, uh, and I think it's important that we uh, uh, finalize and resolve that issue so that the partners, you know, this part of the world is quite unique. Whether, whether we like it or not, we always try to compare it to our, our mother countries, wherever we're from. But the reality is that the North American soccer market is quite unique. And I think we need to deal with that. And unfortunately, some of the things that have been inherited in the North American soccer market, like this issue that we're talking about, need to be resolved. There's a lot of other issues that need to be resolved, whether it be FIFA dates and so many other things that we always talk about. And slowly but surely, those are happening, but this is obviously a key component for us from an equity standpoint. And what's your confidence level? High. And then in terms of the Guardian, like it's not quoted, but it's just stated. Are you planning to block uh, the three? No, so just to clarify that, I think it was paraphrased. I mean, um, what the question was put to me in the, you know, quite a long interview, and uh, I think Sean, his name, he did an excellent job. I know he's got an excellent reputation. I think the question was, how does sanctioning work? And so I wanted to be clear that any football that's played in this country needs to be sanctioned, no different than any other country, needs to be sanctioned by a national federation. And we have the ultimate authority to sanction or not, or de-sanction as we have with some other leagues in the past leagues. And U.S. soccer has that right. And if you remember, I think three or four years ago, there was issues between U.S. soccer and ASL, and they were ultimately resolved. So a national federation has all those rights. And so I just wanted to clarify that we have those rights. That comment wasn't made as a threat or anything. It was just to clarify what authority a national body has. Okay, and then to wrap it up and not take too much time, your confidence is high that Canadians will be domestics on American teams next season. My confidence is high that we will resolve that issue, yeah. In terms of exactly how it will roll out, you'll see that in the rollout, but I'm confident that we will have a solution to that issue. Okay, thank you. Gavin? Thanks, Richard. Uh, Victor, you talked to, uh, talked to a lot of players, and they said uh, the progress under Benito may not have been evident on the field, but there was off the field. Um, yeah. But if you look at the results, you know, it's been the same out in the same stage, not advancing in the Gold Cup. Where, where was the progress made? You know, I, I, I think we, we faced this, uh, ironically, we faced it with our, uh, we faced it on the, uh, with our women's program as well after 211 where the progress was made, but it wasn't externalized. Uh, and then we've uh, obviously broken through that glass ceiling of results the last two times. And the reality is a program like ours that needs to, you know, has been, I'm not even sure rebuilding. I think it's been building because, I mean, everybody wants to refer back to the 80s, but football is significantly different than it was back then, especially in CONCACAF, where countries, you know, even the qualification itself, now, now you have four rounds of qualification. Back in the 80s, there was only eight teams that try to qualify. So 
you know, things are significantly different. So I think, you know, some of the things I alluded to early on in the call were, um, uh, uh, were evident uh, in terms of the progress we've made, in terms of how we approach the program, you know, how camps are run from a professional standpoint in terms of, um, you know, uh, what the day-to-day is. And so, you know, the, the difference was palpable, palpable. Uh, in terms of the difference, in terms of the level of professionalism in that. Uh, and I think that's what the players were feeling, and the players were very cognizant of the commitment um, that the Federation has made in the program. And I think, you know, when you talk to players that played in the program in years gone by and, and the players that play in it now, I guess, I, you know, if you, I'd equate it to, you know, we've gone from a three-star hotel to a five-star hotel in terms of how we prepare, how we treat uh, the players, how we treat the staff, how we prepare for whatever it is. Ultimately, it's a results business, and uh, we didn't get the result that we wanted, which was to get to the hex, which was our goal from day one. Uh, but the reality is, is that you can't abandon the process that we've started. I think you need to continue and actually increase it. And if you keep doing the right things, eventually you'll break through that glass ceiling. Dear Victor, uh, circling back to the comments you had about MLS and the roster rules, would those same reforms also affect NASL? Because obviously NASL has a similar roster yeah. rule set up in terms of internationals as MLS does. Yeah. Is, are those conversations happening with NASL as well? Uh, they're not right now because they're not, uh, they're not exactly the same, but they, they will happen because once, you know, we obviously once you, and it is a kind of a, and, you know, Steve, you might, know, you probably, out of anybody, know them better than uh, better than anybody else, because I know you've covered this topic significantly and you've covered it quite well. But there seems to be this uh, dichotomy between USL, NASL, and MLS, uh, which is always a head scratcher uh, in terms of how they treat that issue. So obviously, if we're going to change it for the MLS, it'll obviously be changed for NASL. Victor, I've covered a few Canadian coaches in my time, uh, and I'm just wondering. What are you looking for in the next coach? Benito was your choice. Uh, what are you looking for? Um, and as sort of as a follow-up to that, is every Canadian coach who doesn't make the hex now facing a pink slip? And do you place any... It's easier to fire a coach than players. Do you, given that you've given all these players apparently what they want, the five-star hotel, do they share any blame in... Uh, not making it to the final round of qualifying? Yeah, no, I think, I, well, first of all, I think everybody needs to share in the blame. And I don't think, the, the, to the players' credit, I don't think they've shied away from putting up their hands saying that we were, you know, that they didn't uh, do what they needed to do in terms of, from a, from a uh, result standpoint. You can't, I don't think you can fault the players for their attitude, their commitment and all that. You know, the, the, they just didn't go their way. So uh, you can't fault them. But I think they put up their hand and they said, you know, obviously we're all disappointed. I think we've all put up our hand. And I think what we're going to do now is see uh, in other areas, other than just hiring a coach, uh, what are the other areas where we can improve on to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, we get better in those areas. Um, and in terms of a coach, um, you know, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a rule that you don't make the hex or fire because it all depends on the situation. I mean, you may fire a coach before. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, um, or you might keep them on. So I think every every campaign, every every situation is different. Uh, and in terms of a coach, I think I think what we need to look for is, is to build on the good things that have happened uh, and, and continue that, and somebody that can build on that and then bring 
obviously um, the ability to um, uh, extricate uh, from a group of players uh, the ability to get results in certain situations. But I think it's a coach that needs to build on the positives rather than come in and, and just say, okay, we're going to scrap everything. Because I, I don't think that's a healthy situation. I think it, I think you need to build on the successes that you've had, identify the areas that you need to improve on, and those are the areas you need to fix. And if I can do a quick follow-up, is a fluent command of the English language going to be part of the job description? Because, you know, Benito, I know he speaks various languages and, and certainly communicated via players, but uh, sometimes it was difficult for him to get his message across to, to other people. The media is what you're referring to, Neil? Well, I mean, if we had trouble understanding him, I'm yeah, sure yeah. other people did as well. Yeah, listen, I I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is if uh, if a coach gets a result and speak, doesn't speak a lick of English, I'm not sure you get asked that question. The reality is, uh, communication is always an issue, so the key component is, you know, do they have to have a fluent command of the English language? I'm not worried about a fluent command. Do they have to have uh, a working ability in it? I, I think it's important, um, but, you know, the reality is is that you got to get the right person. So, um, you know, uh, is language at the top of that? Um, I'm not sure it's at the top of it. Is it part of the process? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, good luck with it. Thank you. So Victor Montagliani there, announcing the the departure of Benito Floro, no real surprise there. I think everyone expected him to be moving on pretty soon after Canada crashed out of World Cup qualifying again. I kind of had a sneaking feeling that he may kind of hang around in a director of football role just to kind of have a bit of a a transition for a year or two, but that's not going to happen. So the search is on now, of course, for a new head coach for the national team. A lot of names been put in the frame, a lot of different opinions on it as well. Some want another foreign coach, someone that's maybe done it at international level with another country. Big push as well online and just chatter in social media that it, it should be a Canadian that, that takes the reins this time. Someone that understands the system and, and that can revamp it from, from the bottom up. Nick Dazovich is a name that's often thrown out. Although it is a name that's often thrown out by, by people that are his friends. So you maybe have to take that with a little bit of a, a pinch of salt. Would he be the right man for the job? I'd like to see him involved, maybe as an assistant capacity. But I do feel that it needs to be somebody that has maybe coached at international level at the top level. Bob Bradley's been a kind of pie-in-the-sky name that's been thrown out there. It would be an interesting one, but I do feel you need someone that's going to come in now with experience, which Florida did have, but with experience of CONCACAF and somebody who isn't going to be afraid to ruffle feathers and try and get things done because the Canadian national team programme needs an overhaul from the bottom up. You're not going to be getting the quality players suddenly just appearing from nowhere. And obviously the Canadian Premier League, which looks like it's going to launch in 2018, that's going to have a key part to play, but you cannot rely on that alone. A lot of the top, top talent are still going to want to play in Europe. Floro raised an issue after the El Salvador game. He spoke about the thousand of impediments, which we we did an article on AFTN about that. One of them not being a Canadian domestic league. The other being that he wasn't able to get his players together every time that he wanted them to. 
And a Canadian league is going to help that a little, but your top players are still going to be playing in leagues like MLS or leagues in Europe, and you're just not going to get those guys to to get together to, to do what Flora wanted to do. So uh, there's a lot of names that's going to be there. Hopefully they don't rush into this decision. There is no need for it to be a rush. We're out of qualifying now. There's There's no point just appointing somebody just for the sake of it. I hope this is a long, drawn-out process and they get the right man for the job. Let us know your thoughts as well. Leave messages on AFTN.ca or tweet us at AFTN Canada and let us know who you feel should be the next Canadian national team coach. But that's it for this episode of the podcast. I'm going to get back to walking the dog on the beach. I'm Michael McCall. You can read our stuff, AFTN, away from the numbers, on AFTN.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and Goal.com, so read my stuff on that. And also the Western Conference reporter for USLsoccer.com. And the USL playoffs are just around the corner, so we're going to have lots of good coverage from that as well. But that's it for another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us. Hope you've enjoyed it. And until next time, take care and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.